Hey, Fruit Bowl listeners, Dave Kwanick here, creator of Fruit Bowl. If you're a regular listener, you know that most of my interviews are recorded a while back, some as far back as 2018. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that this episode's interview was recorded just two weeks ago in Portland, Oregon. Yes, I've begun in-person interviews again, and it feels so good to bust out my film equipment, dust off my microphones, and sit and talk and get to know someone's personal history one-on-one without distraction and without masks, both literal and figurative. I'm currently producing Fruit Bowl by myself without any sponsors or underwriters, and as you can imagine, production trips like Portland do not come cheap. So if you'd like to help me produce more interviews and more episodes, consider making a small monthly donation to Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to interviews, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video content that is not available to the general public. Thanks to Brett and Brian, who recently became Fruit Bowl's 15th and 16th patrons. You can learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate. And now, here's Elliot. So one of the experiences that really sticks out for me is having sex and squirting for the first time. It was kind of like accidental, or at least like we just kept doing what felt good, and I was like, there was enough stimulation or whatever that I just like kept going with it, and it didn't feel like I need to pee and it feels bad. It was just like, there's a really intense sensation right now, and I don't know what's going to happen. And then it was just like, release. <laughs> um, and it felt like an addition to an orgasm. This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name is Elliot. I am 27 and I graduated high school in 2012. Be advised, this interview contains a description of sexual abuse. I grew up in Wyoming, in Casper, Wyoming. Kind of rural, like it's probably one of the bigger towns in that state, but still small enough that you like, you knew most people and I lived there probably like 18 years of my life so and definitely like find myself sort of identifying as like a country queer cow them whatever you want to call it (laughs) (laughs) yeah when I think of Wyoming and I think when a lot of people think of Wyoming um, and it's not wrong necessarily to think of like Yellowstone Jackson Hole like it is very beautiful but it's also like only like the top left corner of the state versus the rest of it to me is flat and prairie and I hate it (laughs) like it was so dreary Um, and so I think for some people Wyoming is super beautiful but for me I was like I need to get out of here (laughs) as a child I had mom and dad and I had two half siblings that I lived with and like a third that I didn't really know we all had the same mom but different dads and my parent who at the time was dad When I was like 14 or 15, came out as trans. Um, And it was around the same time that I also was going into foster care. Like she shared that news. At that time, I definitely had a lot of transphobia to work through for myself, whether it was internalized or otherwise. I was like, the person who I've known as dad wants to be mom. And this is like rocking my 15 year old world. And in a state that like, I'm like, how do I even deal with this when I know that like other people are going to struggle with it. Like I didn't have the the concept or community or even other adults outside of that parent to help me understand like that's a whole lot of bullshit and like the world's making you feel that way but like you should just love your parent. So my relationship with my parents was strained not because of that as much as my parents just didn't really step in and show up for us very well. So there was more neglect, which is like a primary reason people go into care, more than abuse, more than people realize. My mom was a hoarder, not my mom who's trans, but the other mom was a hoarder. So the house was a mess um, and there was a lot of cats. And so basically for me, it was like, this is so bad. And I know this is not what my friends are living in because I've been at their houses. Um, I don't want to be here anymore. And I've asked my parents, like, I remember asking my parents, like, can we have less cats? Can we clean the house? Can I have a better bed? All these things. And that wasn't happening. Um, So that's kind of when it went to the point of, like, I'm going to advocate for myself and get out of this. So I went into care the summer between middle school and high school, which in some ways was kind of helpful because I felt like I was headed into high school 
without people necessarily knowing. So it was already a lot, but it felt more doable because I got to start a school year. Had like a pretty good foster mom. Like I was fortunate that I didn't move around a ton. I had a foster parent for about three years and she was fine. But I also like I couldn't come out until I left care. Um, I usually reference this moment where we were watching Grey's Anatomy and Callie in Arizona have like the first on-screen kiss. And I'm, I don't know, I'm probably like 17 at this point. And I'm like, I know I'm gay and I'm definitely not telling anyone. <laughs> and these two women kiss on TV and I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. And like the comment I hear from her is, ew, gross, or that's gross. And I immediately internally was like, I can't talk to this person about this, at least not right now. And so a few years later, she called me and she said, why didn't you come out to me? And I was like, like this, literally this moment told me I couldn't. And so going into care, I think meant that I got to see the world a bit differently, but I also got to finally be in not so much of a crisis survival mode that I was living in with my family, but it didn't give me enough freedom to like come out. It's made me want to like be more curious about that, but I still felt like to have housing, I have to prioritize that over who I am. Um, and I can get to that in a few years. So I'll just ride this out, get what I can, and then I can do whatever I want. I didn't get moved around a lot because I was like, I can't have problem behaviors. I need to be um, obedient, basically. And so I think that came off as like, what a great student, what a great kid. But it was very much like, I need to do this because I can't imagine something worse happening. Um, and it's a form of control, right? I can control this, I can be good. So I stayed in Casper and when I went into care, I think I kind of wondered if that would happen. And there's a process when you enter care um, where they have to at least try and see if you have any other family um, of some kind, even a cousin. So I was a little worried about like, will I get placed somewhere else? But um, I just needed, um, I think, to stay there at least to get through high school. But then of course, once I was in college, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I would love to be able to say I have a close relationship with my trans parent, but even when I talk, have talked with her since, I think our relationship has been different because I had mentioned to her, like, like she was the person who was the working parent, so she would leave for work and we would be stuck at home with my mom, who was more abusive. That really had an impact that I don't think we've been able to work through because as much as I'm willing to work through that, I, she gets really defensive and we, ca we can't seem to get past that. <laughs> when I called her and said, hey, I'm trans also, the conversation really quickly went to, well, do you remember when you were in care and people were mean to me about me being trans? Uh, and like the conversation became about her. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I just, I was hoping this would be a moment, but it's not. And that's fine. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm glad for who I am right now. And there's introductions to things I got that like, I would have been perfectly happy to have learned a different way, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. But I experienced uh, sexual abuse with um, one of my siblings when I was uh, probably like pre-K and maybe into kindergarten, first grade, somewhere in that time period was the main amount of time where that happened. At that time, I was a young girl um, experiencing it from a sibling who was a woman. And so this confusion around did I ask for this? Did I enjoy this? Should I have not? Like so much that was swirling around that, that of course that really built in a lot of shame that couldn't get unpacked until later when I had a therapist to be like, oh, of course I felt these ways. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. There's a lot that happened there that shouldn't have happened. And so I think that was an, an additional layer of like women with women. D does this feel bad? I think it feels bad because it's my sibling, but I like women that doesn't feel bad. So that being really complicated and there was no one to like unpack that with. But that wasn't a conversation I felt like I could have um, with my parents. And when I finally told my parents what had happened, the response I got was like, not really supportive or helpful or understanding. It was just kind of like annoyed that I was bringing it up. So the concept of sex even in the beginning was also like not of course the greatest introduction, but I feel like I learned really young that I was like, here's what my body is. And it probably came from abuse where I was like, I already understand how to like stimulate um, my genitals and, and rub on things and feel that feeling, uh, but not necessarily having all the connection or understanding to like what was going on or when would be appropriate to do that and when would not be, not knowing that fully because it was not a conversation that my parents were having with me actively. It was like, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> Learning after doing it. But it was also like finding my parents' porn. It might've been pre-K or like first, I mean, I feel like I was still pretty young. Um, 
And I might have found it because I was probably like being babysat at home or something like that and had free time. <laughs> um, so I remember I'd go down to their room when they weren't there and I like would, you know, already just be like nosy kid. But then I like found the magazines and I was like, OK, I'm coming back here um, because I'm so curious about it. But it was also I'm pretty sure that not all of the magazines were just like dad's magazines of naked women. It was like, oh, there's more to this. Um, and there was at least one like porn DVD that I watched that was like two men in a pool. I've never been able to find this anymore. And I wish I could because I would remember being like, this is so hot. But also like my parents walk in right now, I'm dead <laughs> and it's theirs. <laughs> so my introduction, I feel like was that from a pretty young age and then like school buses, like people talking about it on the school bus was very much how I learned about sex and like what that's about. I think my parents, I feel like, talked to me more about dating than they did about sex. And I don't really know why that was. I mean, obviously, there's lots of parents who just, like, fully avoid it. But it's it's funny to me because I think one of my parents, at least, was really sexually active, whether it was masturbation and porn, whether it was out in the world. But the conversation wasn't necessarily happening directly between us. And then I don't know that it happened at all when I was in care. By that point, I think it was like, you're probably figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I went through whatever, you know, required middle school, like, sex ed class happened. And I remember there's like, one moment in, like, fifth or sixth grade in elementary school where they had us watch, like, the video where you see someone suddenly develops pubic hair in this cartoon that's, like, not really that real. Yeah, but it was pretty limited. Um, maybe my parents also, or just adults around me in general, were like, like, they were literally like, this person is not having sex. <laughs> so I'm not worried about it. Ugh. I don't remember hearing about birth control or condoms or any of that. So maybe through school, but it, it was such a rare topic. People were like uncomfortable with talking about sex that like, I'm glad I didn't get pregnant and didn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like, uh, it was probably masturbation, like some form of like rubbing my clit or my crotch, even with clothing on up against an edge and finding out like, oh, that feels good or interesting I don't I didn't expect that so like humping the edge of a bed <laughs> I mean like this is cool I like this feeling somewhere in elementary school started figuring some of that out and exploring that at least yeah predominantly whatever I was doing was very like clit focused um, and it wasn't really ever focused on whole like I was like going in my hole my finger doesn't feel good I don't know if I ever want anything to go in there and that didn't feel about dysphoria it literally felt about like either fear of hurting my own self and like does everything in there get hurt is it really sensitive like not having the ability to have a conversation of like it's actually like pretty robust and like can handle a lot and exploring that is going to let me know how much sensation or feel good feelings I have internally versus just externally so I just stayed like outside on the surface because I was getting a lot of mileage out of it and it was working, like it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, also like the whole, like I need to be very quiet, <laughs> feeling like I need to be silent. So like your introduction to sex, feeling like it needed to be a quiet thing versus like breathing sounds, groaning, any of that, even words felt like you don't do that. Um, that's not the case now. <laughs> For a long time, I feel like that's where some of that came from. I feel like there was a period where I was like solely looking at like lesbian porn and thought that straight porn was terrible, but then or maybe it was like watching straight porn because I couldn't, thought it was bad. Like no one knew that I was watching any of it though. So I'm like self-policing and self-shaming. And then for the longest time, I thought I don't like men. I don't want to ever sleep with men. I, I think I had like a fear of penis even. Like all of it freaked me out and scared me. And some of that was the way being raised as a woman, having fear of men. Um, and some of it was just irrational, <laughs> you know, um, fear of the unknown. And I think at the time I was like, if I saw a penis, I was like, this is not turning me on. This is, I don't, mm. <laughs> not about it. And then at some point I remember I started watching gay porn. I like didn't want to tell anyone. I was like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm also into this, which is such a funny like mind trip. But at some point, like that was the thing that was turning me on more. And at that time, at least, I was still with a woman and wanted to be with that woman. But the thing that was turning me on when I was watching porn and masturbating was gay male porn. So 
very funny and confusing. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first times I had a partner ask me like, what kind of porn do you watch? I was suddenly like, <gasps> do I have to tell you? Is it bad what I watch? I don't even know. Uh, loaded question. <laughs> what do you watch now? Yeah. How's um, it evolved? Or do you? Yeah, I definitely still watch porn. Um, and I feel like I watch all kinds of porn. And now it's way less gender-based. Um, if it happens to be whoever, whatever combination of body and body parts there are, um, that's usually less of concern for me. Usually it's more like focused on like the activity. Um, like I am more focused on like squirting porn right now because I've like now learned how to do that. So now I'm like fascinated by it. But it's like just the current season that I'm in, right? was really into like cream pie. So I was like always watching that porn. I was like, I don't care where it's happening. That's what I want to see. So it became more like topical or activity based than it was. Um, but every now and then I'll be like, no, I want to see like gay cream pie or whatever comes up for that or trans people. I just want to see trans people or queer people. Uh, maybe I don't want to watch Pornhub. I want to watch Crash Pad so I can see like also like really authentic feeling sex. Um, appreciating Twitter for like that it became like the Tumblr of all of that right and so just finding like I didn't want to feel limited anymore by what could turn me on in a sense like that I, I think that was coming more from like I shouldn't be turned on by this versus like does this do anything for me and if it doesn't that's fine but why am I like shutting the door for myself on something that's really just like some other voice from nowhere that's like why are you watching that? because <laughs> I want to I don't know <laughs> doesn't look like anyone here is being harmed and nothing here feels bad so like great cool let's do it no one else is with me that needs to like give permission either <laughs> yeah first time um, there was a time when I feel like I was in school at this point, but still elementary school probably, maybe like late elementary school. There was a boy in the neighborhood who I think was already like sexually active. So it makes me have questions about like, was he also in a similar boat being raised? But we would hang out and at some point it like progressed to... Um, we were hanging out in like the downstairs or basement of his house and we were watching a show and I think we were like dating, um, whatever that means at that age. And I think we were watching a show like on the couch, kind of cuddling and like it started to progress a little bit. And I was like, I don't really know anything about this or what we're doing, but I'm also like curious. Um, so I think we like made out and I feel like he had, it was either a tent or like a cardboard fort of some kind. There was something we got into in the same room, but like on the ground. And I think we, my bottoms at least came off. I don't remember if his did. There wasn't like penetration, but there was definitely like, at that point it was like fooling around basically. And that's really like some of my, I think my first like interaction like that beyond like sexual abuse that had happened. I didn't necessarily feel bad other than like, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this bad. Um, but I don't remember anything that he did that felt like hurting or it didn't feel like a violent or abusive experience. It was more like we're kids who are exploring each other's bodies. And I think that only happened once. And uh, after that, I was kind of like, <laughs> I was interested in this experience. I don't actually think I'm interested in you. <laughs> so I think that was my first um, experience. And then I feel like I didn't have anything for a long time. Um, until I was probably in high school and like finally had sex with a woman and I was having sex with a woman, but also with like woman who was like, I don't even know if I'm gay. We're both in this church. And it kind of felt like young adults exploring their bodies with more knowledge and more capacity to give consent, but also like, we are two women. What do we do here? <laughs> um, and we're definitely not telling anyone about this and the benefit of queer young people that they have is sleepovers are usually seem harmless. <laughs> it's been a lot of sleepovers. Um, and some of it was just like the physical intimacy of getting to be with another person, not necessarily sex, like literally just like cuddling or sleeping in the same bed. Um, and that felt good. But then there was definitely like sexual exploration. And I think at some point it reached this place of like, is this sin? is this bad? And so that made it more the, the complicated part where it was like, 
the only part of this that feels wrong is like this existential sort of thing, not what I'm feeling right now when we're doing this. So that was complicated <laughs> for sure. <laughs> So I've been married and divorced, um, still great friends with her. But right after our divorce, I was like, who is Elliot on their own? So I had transitioned in my marriage and came out and all of that. But I didn't know like who Elliot on testosterone, uh, under the name of Elliot even, as a single person was. And I don't think I'd ever had penetrative sex with a man or a penis in general. I had experience a dildo, but like only once or twice. And I was like, I'm just not, penetrative sex still was not it for me. But then got divorced, <laughs> and that was like the end of 2018 was the first time I had sex with a man. And it didn't go great, and I think it was because it was like a grinder hookup. So I was also just like super green to like, how does this even work? And I'm going to go meet up with a stranger that I've been kind of talking to and I think feels okay. But like I have this next to no concept of cruising culture and how any of that worked. Um, I was coming from lesbian, like classically trained lesbians. <laughs> I'm like, this is not what we do. How do I do this? I didn't really feel like I had people to ask. So met up with him, <laughs> it was car sex. So that's already like not great. And his eagerness didn't really help involve like enough lube. It was really quick and really fast. And so it actually had like torn the bottom of my hole, which is called like the fourchier or something like that. So it's easier to tear anyways and also pretty easy to heal. It didn't like hurt. It was more like I got home and I was like, there's blood here. There shouldn't be blood here. But I, w I want to experience this. I want to go out and do this. So, and at that time I was finally more honest of like, I am attracted to men. This is a new thing. This is post testosterone starting. So I know this is different. So that experience was like, meh. Uh, but it didn't totally turn me off from that. But then I had to have a hysterectomy. So it kind of like put a pause. Well, I didn't have to. I wanted to have it in. It put a pause of like 12 weeks for recovery, which is so like, of course, right now, post-divorce, when I'm ready to like be a slut, <laughs> you're like, I have to wait 12 weeks, which made it through fine. But that meant that 2019 became Slutty Elliot 2019. And I was like, I just want to have sex and not feel bad about it. And I can be safe and get on prep and get tested regularly but I want to just experience all of it. And I did that and that was great. So that felt like a year of a whole lot of firsts in so many ways because of each person I have sex with, right? Like it's an entirely new, different experience. Even if it's vanilla sex, whatever that means, it's still like this person in front of me is a different person. It's a first time in some regards. And a lot of times where I was like someone's first time having sex with someone who was transmasculine. And those were like, predominantly tender, great moments where as long as someone was willing to like follow instructions <laughs> and ask questions, you know, like we had a really good time. So those were like a lot of different firsts, but um, all for the most part, pretty good. There are people I've been in love with, but I have like questions internally or maybe more like philosophically or whatever about like, what does love even mean? And like, what type of love is this? Um, I think the like fall in love feeling was probably like the woman in the church was, I, I think like the first one, but it was at least the first one where I was like, that has stayed with me for a variety of reasons. But the connection I had with that person was so strong that I didn't know like what else to compare it to. It took like any crushes I had and like blew it out of the water. I remember there was a lot of basically women in that church in general that were like moms to me. Like there was a lot that was problematic, but there was also a lot of healing that happened there. This woman I met, she had like lost her partner, was a single parent at this point. And I don't actually remember why entirely we started hanging out, but I think maybe we had like I don't know, done some of the same service projects or something and just kind of hung out and um, got along. And then probably, like, she had heard part of my story and was kind of like, oh, I want to, like, get to know this person and I care about this person because clearly, like, they, they don't have family or whatever the dynamic was. And we just seemed to hit it off pretty quickly and wanted to hang out and felt comfortable hanging out with her and her, and her girls. And we went to, like, Six Flags for a trip just for fun and... So, like, the energy there was just good. And then at some point, it just, like, took this, like, escalator of at least emotional intimacy that was just kind of, like, unexpected. And there was one evening that I came over and we hung out. We were talking late. Um, 
And instead of me going home, I stayed. And we, like, laid in the same bed and, like, cuddled. But we never had sex. But it was such an intense emotional thing where there was just a closeness of emotional vulnerability, being able to talk about a whole lot of things that we had both experienced. And like shortly after is when people started to put things together more. And so it kind of like came crashing down. So it was also like this quick quick escalator up and this like really steep crash. But it wasn't usually a conversation of like, we are dating, I'm attracted to you, I'm a lesbian. Like that conversation didn't really happen until like conversion therapy started. But also I think because it was so cut off then with a, such a hard line from the church, it it's like it made it that much stronger in the sense of like, I really can't have this. And it seemed like there was a lot of potential in the sense of this connection. We both cared a lot about each other. And then it just like ended and it didn't get to have like, to <laughs> like scene, <laughs> you know, it didn't get to play itself out. Um, she stayed with the church and I left. So I think in the time period of the good memories before conversion therapy started, there was like this really sweet pocket of memories um, where I was like, I think this is what it feels like to be like, I feel like pretty much my whole self with this person. I feel safe with this person. I feel seen by this person. I feel like I'm not treated as a child with this person. I'm just like, I'm me. And I think why it also felt like such a big thing was because even through that process with the church, we ended up working in the same space. So I was a student at the community college. She was an instructor at the community college. But I met her through the church first. The church is saying we can't be together. We work in the same space. We are obviously still going to the same church. How do we not have interactions? And that felt like it got harder because we'd like see each other and want to have a conversation. That pull would kind of keep you there. And you're like, I'm not supposed to talk to you right now. So it just got like really messy and eventually um, like when I fully pieced out from the church, we really like kind of parted ways. But I remember I came to her office when I left because she was like, I'd heard you left and I've been looking for you and I couldn't find you. But like, are you leaving? Like, what does that mean? And I think there was a lot of concern for her about that. But I, I was kind of like had made my mind up and she still valued and wanted friendship and connection in that community. And I was like, I can't, <laughs> like, I can't stay here. So it was just a weird ending because I wasn't quite leaving Casper yet. But um, that was definitely like my first probably big love. And it didn't even have to really do with sex. It was such an emotional like, <sighs> but um, ambiguous loss is definitely an interesting thing of like, it's basically closure never gets to happen. So it's just kind of left there. You never really know the ending. So I had ambiguous loss of foster care and the church and that. And like, I didn't realize how much um, like kind of PTSD type of trauma I had around that until I started dating after that. And I had this like kind of constant fear that someone was going to stop it, that we were going to be in trouble, that we were going to get looks that weren't about like homophobia, but were like, it was a church fear that was still tied in. Like I still had like the voice of one of the leaders in my head kind of like, it was so weird that it took a long time to kind of unpack that and be like, I don't have to worry about any of that anymore. June 8th will be four years on T. So so I think my transition in my gender was kind of the last sort of thing, at least for now. <laughs> who knows what happens next? But at that point, I was like, I felt so confident in who I was because I was like, everything feels right. And if this all feels right, I don't care now in the ways that I used to about running into someone from my church and anything they would have to say about it because I feel so good and right about this that if they're not on board, that's their loss. But it took a while right, to get to that point and I didn't know that it would be like that was the thing that kind of broke a lot of that off because then I was like excited to go home as like me. I was like, I feel good, I look good, I, this is me. I want people to see me. I don't want to have to worry about any of that. Like, I never wanted bottom surgery beyond a hysterectomy. Like, I'm perfectly happy with my clit, tedic, whatever you want to call it, and having a pussy, a vagina, a front hole. I don't really enjoy anal. Like, I haven't really had much anal penetrative sex. But I have come to be more um, comfortable and, and enjoy being eaten out. Like, that I really enjoy. But I used to have a lot of shame around, like, is my hole bad? Does it smell bad? Is it weak? Like just a lot of this stuff that especially we don't talk about it. It's really easy, I think, for women, non-binary people, trans-masculine people 
to have a lot of shame around it because it's not always even like talked about or held up in the same way as like there can be a very like penis centric culture <laughs> that doesn't usually feel super shamey at least from my vantage point there's been times when I can get on an app and people are like interested in some things but not others like I want to receive but I don't want to eat you out and I'm like I mean, you don't have to, but also, like, I'd be curious if you've thought about what that might be about for you. <laughs> uh, no one has to do anything they don't want to do, but um, interrogate that a little bit. And so, for me, I had my own shame to work through of, like, thinking that anything was wrong with that and finding people who were, like, very excited and eager to go down on me. And I was like, oh, like, when I let go of this, too, I get to actually enjoy their excitement because I'm not so worried about like, wait, what if they think it's weird or what if it smelled like any of those fears each time that I had a positive experience just kind of like built up that confidence around like, I want to enjoy this just as much as they are. I have every right to, get to enjoy this as much as they are. So they're eating you out and you're looking down there and they're like real happy with themselves, you know, like that just has felt like the, the gender euphoria that crosses into sexuality of like, it all kind of lines up and I feel right and I don't feel like I'm missing some part of my body. Like I feel fully seen as like a non-binary human. Um, and yeah, that just has felt good. I do think really fondly of some of the experiences where people were vulnerable enough that they had not had sex with a transmasculine person. They were genuine about that. They weren't shitty. They weren't chasers in like in in fetishizing bad ways. Like I think there's a there's a line between feeling like you're objectified versus like I want to be seen. Consent, basically, right? Like, yeah, come and chase me for this. So when people were interested, but they were being honest about where they were at, that usually brought out a really great experience because you're getting to experience someone having their first experience of this and finding out it's not scary or it feels good or maybe there's more that they like that they didn't realize. Those have always felt really good and like the energy was good too. So the sex was really good, right? It was, it was like topping energy kind of. <laughs> like I want someone to get off in this experience and I'm getting off both because it feels good for me and because they're enjoying this rather than like they're letting go and just letting it happen. That always has felt really good. And usually the conversations afterwards are like really interesting because people are like, I don't know, they're just like more kind of like cracked open and vulnerable. And I'm not usually a person that's like, sex is done, then I'm out the door. I'm like, I'm open to a conversation and see what happens, which does sometimes feel like the classically trained lesbian versus the like gay male culture. Yeah, I do have one pretty memorable hookup um, from a guy that I met on Scruff. He just was really sweet. He was really like, I think he was nervous, but he was also super interested. He was just really kind, but even like his reaction, like both, like I think he had eaten me out, but he also like fucked me. Um, but it was one of those times where it was, um, I was writing him, so it was like I was fucking him basically with his own dick, <laughs> which was always fun anyways. <laughs> um, but like kind of like the look on his face was just kind of like, whoa wow yeah like hadn't considered it or something and it felt different for him and it felt good and I think you know I don't know if he identified it more as a bottom or as a, like I don't know what that energy was for him but it just seemed like he got to be on the receiving end in a way that he probably hadn't like predicted and it was just really fun and afterwards we had just like some really good conversations about like the struggles I think he had had in the gay community as a more like sensitive man and dealing with a culture that felt very like cut off and very like we're having sex and that's it. We don't talk about anything else. And so I think it just felt like a refreshing moment of like, yeah, you're a human and I can treat you like a full whole human while you're here without that needing to mean much more, but I can like have a full experience with you. So some of that stuff feels important to me because I think it can totally add to sex to like also experience the entire human. Um, doesn't have to be that way, but. So that was just, yeah, good. <laughs> so one of the experiences that really sticks out for me is having sex and squirting for the first time. It was kind of like accidental, or at least like, we just kept doing what felt good. And I was like, there was enough stimulation or whatever that I just like kept going with it and it didn't feel like I need to pee and it feels bad. It was just like, 
there's a really intense sensation right now and I don't know what's going to happen. And then it was just like, release. <laughs> um, and it felt like an addition to an orgasm. In learning how to squirt, there's a lot of pushing, at least for me. Like the, the feeling of I'm pushing outwards because I'm actually trying to make that happen at the same time that I'm being stimulated. More than a little bit of fluid comes out. And for me, it's not like, I think in porn, it usually looks like like streams of fast going movement. I think for me so far, squirting has been like, clearly there's a lot more fluid coming out of my body, but it's coming out like straight down. <laughs> um, but it was more than any sort of like, my pussy is wet. It was like, no, this is like wet. <laughs> and so that for me is squirting. And to do that, there's not like a way to like push out that, but like hold in your butthole so far that I found. <laughs> so the pushing action meant that I squirted and also had some like poop or something that came out just a little bit, but just enough where like I had squirted and that was a great time. But then there was also like this tiny little mark on the bed and I was like, no, the person was fine. I, but of course I was like, that's not what I wanted to have. Like that could just the mood. So that, and then queefing. And so like flipping over and you had just been like messing around or whatever. And so then you're like getting fucked from behind and like right as the dick goes in, it's like, and again, fortunately, I feel like I also hook up with other people who are kind of like pig mindset where they're like, I remember the partner said, um, I actually kind of like it. <laughs> and I was like, oh great. <laughs> Cause there's nothing I can do to stop that. <laughs> like. So that was really funny. And so it was like both embarrassing, but like, again, I feel fortunate that I've had random sexual partners who have been totally fine versus like, eh. They're like, yeah, your body does that. It's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the takeaway I get from this question yeah. is actually quite lovely, which is that I think we're all very forgiving of embarrassing moments. Yeah. And if your partner isn't, that is actually the exception to the yeah, rule. Right. Like, it also says most, more about them. Says more about you. them <laughs> and and their relation to sex right. and how they feel shame. Right. Because like if they've never had an accident, then that's the kind of weird. Yeah. Like we've all had accidents. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just like I would also rather enjoy sex fully than feel so um, clean, prim, and proper that I like never, I don't know, get to let go. Because also squirting happened partially because I was like, I'm just going to push and I'm not going to think about it. And I just went and it finally happened. But if I had thought about it too much of like, but what if I poop? Like I would have scared myself out of ever doing it. So now I have better ideas of like, okay, how can I prepare as like a traditional bottom, which I've never had to worry about. I was like, cool, I've got a vagina. I never have to prep. I'm ready to go. Now I'm like, okay, I might have to do some prep. I might have to be intentional about what I eat. That's annoying, but fine. <laughs> but in a sense that then I get to like let go and enjoy more. So, would you differentiate between squirting and ejaculating? Are they two different things? I, I think it depends on the person. I think people see it as like I think it gets called and because gender is complicated now, female ejaculation. Um, I just see it as like I I call it squirting, but it, I similarly see it as like ejaculating. I think for me. I, I'm still not, I'm like on the fence with the debate about like, is it squirting, is it, or is it peeing? And I'm like, I think it's a little bit of both and whatever it is, like, as long as the person I'm with is down, like, great. And if they're not, I don't want to sleep with them. <laughs> this is just what's coming out of my body. And if it's coming out of my body, you're probably doing something really great because it takes a little bit of work to get there. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine your partner would feel pretty good about you yeah when it happened the person i was with was like i've never made someone do that so we were both in this kind of like sex was great and kind of like that was really cool <laughs> now i need to clean up my bed <laughs> i think for me my move in the bedroom my favorite one is i think it's like topping from the bottom like it's the energy thing of like sometimes people think topping is like an identity but i think topping is also an energy or presence so like when i can switch up that dynamic especially if it's like unexpected but with someone else who's willing to be flexible or verse or whatever you want to call it and that dynamic can feel really fun because sometimes i just want to like you know lay back and be like you do your, do it <laughs> do whatever you want to do but other times i want to be like well i want to try this and so it's partially a move and it's partially just 
in a lot of different situations being like, I'm actually going to control the, the pace, the frequency, the motion, whatever it is. And that feels really good, especially I think even just in my like identity, even as a non-binary person, I'm like, I, I just want to be able to mess with stuff and do things and not feel like I'm boxed in by gender identity, sexuality, or just assumptions. And so um, there's actually a, a physically fun position where I guess partner is laying on their back and their feet are back and up and like they might hold their legs like back that then if their penis is hard it's like sticking straight up so then I would just kind of like land on it and so then it looks almost like I'm fucking them but with their penis so that's when it like most physically shows up they can show up just as an energy but that position is just really fun um it can be a little hard because it's also like I don't have as much of the leg strength. I don't know how to do that motion just like over and over. Uh, it's very impressive. Um, but I get tired and I'm like, this is fun, but um, okay, new position. <laughs> but that position, that move is both like uh, fun because of the topping kind of energy, but also I think it's not a position people do all the time and it's specific. And so it just has been fun to whip out and people are like, what? Sure, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I need to find out if there's a name for that movie. I don't well, know what that let's is. Let's think of a name. Yeah. You, can na- you can name it after yourself. <laughs> Why not? I feel like I saw it in porn. So it came from somewhere. I saw it once in porn in, uh, it was like a woman and a man. And I was like, wow, great move. I have to try that. And I remember I like took a screenshot and I was like, at some point I'm going to find out who will do this. And lots of people want to try it out. <laughs> They're like, that sounds great. And I, I kind of wonder sometimes if that, sounds exciting because it's also like playing with gender even more so for some folks it's like there's an attraction to i think non-binary trans folks because it's already like messing with gender it's it's both like i'm attracted to you as a human and you're already kind of fucking with things and so is the dynamic even more exciting of like i want to like people who have been tops who i was surprised who were like yeah do that to me and i was like great cool and it just feels like there's a different energy or something so we could call it the elliot we could call it the elliot <laughs> we'll see how far it gets us yeah we'll call it the unicorn <laughs> i like that that's a good like, that's a good name for yeah. it yeah when i was a butch lesbian I, that was easy people were attracted to me it was really clear like there wasn't any question now it's there's people who are attracted to me but i have to wonder about like do i have to talk to them about that i'm trans what if they don't like me do i even want to deal with that like as a trans person there are still challenges in finding partners who are interested i don't always feel like i get to date by just going out like i feel like i have used scruff and grinder or social media even as a filter for my own safety that i wish i didn't have to people who will message me without fully reading my profile and then when they find out that I'm trans it shifts but I would rather have that conversation before and see it go sideways or whatever or even just someone say I'm not interested than to be in person and try to navigate that especially if it were to go really badly the worst you know kind of sexual experience I had is like I feel like a trans person was that first interaction with that guy who just like was too rough and just was too like not willing to like warm up or whatever so that challenge is hard and I wish that there was more movement on that I think that's grown and changed especially because Grinder and Scruff created even more labels so it was like whether or not people wanted it that's already getting in the mix there was a time I was on Sniffies and somebody was like you're the only pussy on here <laughs> And I was like, I am only a pussy. Okay, got it. Like, what? Because <laughs> that's the same dynamic that even comes up with dating is like going back and forth between like, is there enough people who would ever even be interested in me, not as Elliot, but as a trans person? And then on top of that, sexually, what are my options? I've had a lot of great sex. And sometimes I have, I wonder about, is it a lowering of standards as in, even if someone has some problematic stuff here, I'll sleep with them because they're interested in sleeping with me. And that's, I think, a theme that really comes up for trans people a lot is like, what are the times that you wanted touch or you wanted sexual interaction? So you took what you could get rather than valuing yourself and not putting yourself in harm's way just to get that. I feel fortunate that I haven't had to do a ton of that, but it absolutely comes up all the time in the, those conversations. So it's a challenge and... I'm grateful I live in Portland because I think that feels different. And there's a few cities probably still that that would feel different. Um, 
but I don't feel like I have the ability to go cruise casually, go walk into a steam or whatever in the same way that most gay men just do and don't think about it. Like one of my partners was non-binary, um, trans feminine, and I feel like our sex life felt kind of like, uh, it felt really good. I felt great in that relationship um, sexually. And it felt like um, like we were both getting to play with gender, both just as two people and even in a relationship and sexually. But that was also the first time I was with like a trans feminine person. So somebody who was having a similar but alternate end of the spectrum or whatever you want to call it experience. And it was enjoyable and it felt almost like less stressful because I think they were particularly interested in transmasculine folks or they had not been with a person who had a pussy before. So that already was like a huge deal. And when we had gotten together, I think they... I think they were nervous, like like a lot of guys, right? And they were like talking to their friends and trying to figure it out. And then once it finally happened, they were like, oh, that was really great and fun. And I, I don't even know why I was worried about that. And like, when can we hook up again? Kind of energy. So it's been predominantly like cisgender gay men. But in Portland in particular, I feel like there's even more folks who are like, I kind of identify as like they, them or queer. And even that's shifting or bisexual or whatever. So which of the filters that I use to find the people I can hook up with, <laughs> at least more, more easily. But yeah. I think I don't see myself right now, at least, having another relationship with um, like a cisgender woman in the sense of like, I'm not opposed to it. It's just like my focus or attraction isn't currently there. I think women are beautiful, but it's not where I'm like sexually attracted right now. And so it seems more likely that I would be with like, I want to be with a queer person. There's something about that that feels good and maybe even easier or better for me. It doesn't rule out cisgender women entirely, but there's a difference there. Or even some cis women who maybe identify as queer. Who knows? So I guess I don't always water down to that, but I have more of a leaning towards non-binary people, masculine folks, folks who have penises. So that's a whole lot of people who have penises. Um, I'm not anti-pussy but I definitely find myself more attracted to like what I don't have right now because I think I spent so much time focused in that land but I've hooked up with some other transmasculine folks and enjoyed that too because of how much shared experience that was there and enjoyment that was there but it's just not necessarily who I like first go to but like there's people I flirt with and I'm like you're cute <laughs> yeah since I first came out hooking up looks like different in the people I hook up with, how comfortable and confident I am in my body because I've had surgeries or testosterone, but also like the, just the process you go through, I think, you know, in your 20s too, of like getting to a better place emotionally or mentally. Like I can have sex with people and not need to have a relationship with all of them necessarily, which felt harder as like a lesbian. Um, whereas now I'm like, I could totally like sleep with someone, be friends with them, never have sex again, or maybe months later have sex with them. That just feels so different versus like I hooked up with someone and we went on dates. So there's like a fast track of a relationship escalator. So I appreciate that. And like what slutty Elliot 2019 gave me because I was like, I need to, I want to experience all this because I didn't when I was in college for a lot of reasons. So now is my time. <laughs> yeah, if I could go back in time and tell myself something, I would tell myself to, like, never say never. Like, I think I had already ruled out, like, men or penis or so many things where I was, like, this is these silly, arbitrary kind of, like, lines, I guess, where it was, like, I know right now I don't want that. doesn't mean I need to rule out that it would never happen. So just being more willing to be open and interested in all kinds of experiences, because now my you know, late 20s feels like such a focus on like, I just want to experience things because I'm only going to be alive for so long. I want to have experiences and try and taste and smell and do new things, not just with other humans, like food or travel, you know, so being more open to experiencing things that I don't know, because I think then I would have probably been even more exploratory and like, I want to try that because I just haven't yet. <laughs> I'll try anything once <laughs> kind of mindset. And so... Um, I think that would make a huge difference, but I eventually, Elliot picked that up. <laughs> this would have been nice if I had done it sooner. I would just want cis 
men to also know that like they can be curious and they can do it in ways that are still like that feel good and just like to not be afraid of it because like the experiences I've had that I really enjoyed were people who hadn't had any sex before whether it was vaginal sex or whether it was with a trans masculine person um, and that can be a really fun and great time if you're willing to put whatever <laughs> stuff you have to deal with aside and just be like I don't know all the answers or what to do, but I'm willing to take direction or ask questions or whatever. I'm like, great, we can have a lot of fun with that. If you're interested in transmasculine people or non-binary people or whatever, approach them as an individual and know that like, as much as you can know things about trans people, it's helpful for us and that probably feels better, but that doesn't give you like the free passive that you know all the things. Because what I might like is not the same as what someone else likes, which is the same as cis people. Like, can you interact with me as an individual and not be transphobic or um, make me feel objectified for literally just having a pussy? Like, I just want people to want to hang out with me and that is an aspect of my identity, but it's not the only thing. Fruit Bowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening. <laughs>